Second Peter in the chapter 1, and we'll pick the reading up this evening at the verse 12, and we'll read down to the end of verse 15. So Second Peter in the chapter 1, the verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavour that ye may be me, or ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Amen. May the Lord bless that reading even unto our hearts this evening. As we look at these verses together, we do so tonight under the heading, Remembering Not to Forget. Remembering Not to Forget. Let's just still ourselves and ask the Lord to speak through his word to our hearts tonight. Father, we are conscious this night, O God, of our frailties. We're conscious, O God, tonight of our weaknesses. And Father, we bow before Thee, the infinite God of power and of knowledge and of wisdom. And Lord, we just ask Thee that Thou wilt now come, that Thou wilt take full control of my mind, of my heart, and yea, of my lips, that everything that is said and done will be from Thee to the benefit of each and of every one. Lord, bless Thy word to our hearts. We thank Thee that we can read it together publicly. We thank Thee, O God, now that we can even uh, take the time to consider it, to meditate upon it. And we do pray that it will be, Lord, that richness even to us once again, the finest of the wheat even to our hearts as we feed upon it. Oh God, hear and answer prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the realities for us all is that we do not remember everything. The longer we live, the more that we will forget. I give myself the exercise recently of trying to remember everyone that I was in school with. I failed miserably. I started secondary school in 97, finished in 04, and there was about 28, I think there was, in my form class, over 150-odd in the whole year class. I can't even remember the 28, never mind the 100 and something. But you know, that's the reality as we move on in life. Some of us, most of us, well, we can forget people's names. We can forget personal experiences. We can forget events and happenings in our lives, whether it be in our childhood or even into our adulthood. We often look at children and there's, all, there's at times even an envy comes in because we look at children and they're like little sponges. And they just can remember everything. They only have to see it or hear it once. And it's as if it's just that sponge that's just soaking up every part of the information. And it's just all in there. And they have it right at the very click of the button. Right at the very tip of their tongue. Ready to tell you it all again. But as we get older, we get a bit slower. It takes us a bit longer to remember. It makes it a bit of a harder chore as it were, just to remember all of the things that used to come so easily and so readily. But regardless of those tonight, whether we be younger or older, I, I do believe that whenever we leave here tonight, all of you know where you live. And it's not a case that after half an hour I'll get a knock at the man's door 
asking me, could I direct you towards your house? Well, let me tell you about Albert Einstein, just to encourage you. Albert Einstein was one of the wisest men and one of the most intelligent men that has ever lived. And there was a time in his life, and the story is told, that he began to work at the Institute of Advanced Study in Princeton in New Jersey. And during his time working there, he moved house. One afternoon, he finished for the day, and he left, and he was heading home. And shortly after he left, there was a phone call came to the dean's office of the entire university. And this man was on the phone, and he asked, he says, can I speak to the dean? And the secretary says, I'm sorry, the dean is unavailable. The man says, well, could you point me, or could you tell me where Mr. Einstein lives, so I can talk to him? And the secretary says, I'm sorry, sir, we can't give that kind of information out. And then this man became a little quieter and a little more sheepish. And he says, this is Albert Einstein. I can't remember where I live. One of the most intelligent men to ever grace the planet. One of the most knowledgeable. And yet on his way home, because he'd moved house, he forgot where to go and how to find his house. All of us have the capability to forget. Especially... If we stop thinking about certain things and practicing certain things. If you're doing the same chore every single day, then it will come second nature to you. And it will even come to the point where you barely even have to think about what you're doing. But if you leave off that chore, if you leave off that mental activity for a time, it will suddenly become a little bit foggier. You'll have to put a little bit more effort into it. That applies to the spiritual realm as well. That applies even within our daily walk. If we stop doing those things readily and continuously and constantly in our walk and we stop reminding ourselves even of what Christ has done for us or what Christ has commanded us to do, how quickly we can forget all about it. How quickly it fogs over, how quickly it peels into the background. You think even in regards to the Lord's Supper, Christ made the statement to the disciples, this do in remembrance of me. He gave them that encouragement. He gave them that exhortation as he showed them the Lord's table, as he showed them the breaking of the bread, the drinking of the cup, the remembrance that it is of his death and of his sacrifice and his suffering on the cross. He told them, keep coming back and doing this. Don't simply do it this one time with me before I go to the cross, but keep coming back to the Lord's table. Keep eating the bread. Keep drinking the cup. And seek to ever keep before you the sacrifice and the sufferings of the Saviour. That we never forget what Christ has accomplished. Even for each one of us. We never want the cross to fade into the background. We never want it to come to the point where we forget all about the sufferings of Christ. That it means so little to us. That it means so insignificant as it were. That it becomes so little in our minds. That our spiritual knowledge just disappears. The desire is that our knowledge increases, our understanding grows. And here in Second Peter, we've just finished a section, really quite a weighty section in terms of all that Peter has condensed within these opening 11 verses. He's talked much about how to grow in grace. He's talked much even about how to deal with the Christian mind, the Christian heart. He's encouraged and exhorted the believer there in the verse 10 to make your calling and election sure. And those previous verses, he has showed us 
the checklist, the step-by-step guide on how to grow in grace and in knowledge, all of those different activities that we must be involved in. And so you think, well then, Peter's dealt with that. He's condensed it to 11 verses. There's deep, there's theological meaning. There's a lot of effort. There's a lot of work. Then surely he's just going to move on. He's dealt with it. He's said it. But he doesn't. He's willing to pause. He's even willing to revisit the things that he's already talked about. And he makes no apology for it. Because we read there in the verse 12, he says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Verse 13, he justifies it with the words, Yea, I think it meet. In other words, I think this is good practice. I believe this is what I need to do. As long as I'm alive, I need to be reminding you of this. You know, sometimes if a minister's repetitive, if he's dealing with the same subject week after week, or he's bringing the same application time after time, you'd start and think, well, it's not preachers getting a bit like a broken record. You just keep going over and over the same thing. Can he not move on? Is there not more application? Is there not more doctrines that he can talk about? Why does he keep revisiting this? And you'd start to hold it as a negative point against a preacher if he's constantly going over the same bases or the same material. But the utmost importance and concern of a preacher in relation to a Christian is that the Christian grows. That's the utmost importance to and concern even of this preacher, that the child of God grows. Yes, the preacher's involved in the gospel work and seeking to bring sinners to Christ. But in terms of the child of God, the preacher's concerned with, is that sheep growing? Is that child of God growing? How is that flock doing? Peter emphasized in his first epistle to the elders of the church, 1 Peter 5 and 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. In other words, don't just increase the flock. Don't just have more and more sheep gathering to you. But the sheep you have, you need to feed them. You need to make sure those sheep are growing. And so the preacher, the shepherd, is to feed the sheep that they are healthy, that they are strong. And then here in verse 12, Peter promises to do just that. He makes a commitment to them. He says, I will not stop. I will keep reminding you of those things which you need to do. Even though I've listed them for you, even though I've gone over them with you, even though I've condensed it down and brought it all to you, I will bring this to you again. As long as I am alive, as long as I'm in my earthly tabernacle, I will not stop in doing this. Paul was another man to repeat himself. Just in case you think Peter's a one-man band in this relation, in this regard. Paul was another man who constantly reminded the people. You think of Philippians 3 in the verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. In other words, he's saying, I'm writing to you what I've already wrote before. And it's good to do that. It's safe to do that. And I am not, it's not grievous. In other words, it's not a negative point. This is good. He would say also over in Titus in the chapter 3 in the verse 8. He says, this is a faithful saying. 
And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Notice those words that he says, I will that thou affirm constantly. He's telling Titus the preacher, keep repeating it. Keep telling the people about it again and again. I remember one of the reasons why the Holy Ghost was sent into the world was to remind believers. To remind them of what God has taught them in his word. Christ himself said, John fourteen twenty six, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You see, that's part of the Spirit's work is to bring it to back to your memory. What you've learned maybe years ago. Maybe even as a child. Maybe as a young person. Maybe in your adult years and there were messages brought to you. There was a doctrine or an application brought to you. And then the Spirit will bring it back when it needs to be brought back. We are to remember. And we're never to forget to remember. We're to be reminded that every brother and every sister in Christ is a new creature. We're to remember that we are partakers of a divine nature. We're to remember that we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We're to remember that our faith does not start and finish at the same place. Our faith starts at the cross. Our faith does not finish at the cross. Our faith starts when we lay our sins upon Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. But that's not where our faith finishes. Because by the help of the triune God, we add to that faith, even as Peter reminds us, the virtue, the knowledge, the temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And Peter just goes over it again in these verses. I'm going to remind you, don't forget. Three things I want to leave with you this evening. In relation to why he reminds us not to forget. <clears throat> Firstly, the reasons. The reasons. You see in these verses, on three different occasions, Peter mentions the word remembrance. Why does he keep doing this? And just this short reading that we had, 12, 13, and also 15, he uses the word remembrance. Why is Peter so motivated to ensure that believers do not forget? Why is he so motivated to ensure that they do not forget where they have come from and do not forget where they ought to be and do not forget what they ought to be doing for Christ? Why does he use the language that he does? Why does he make the commitment in verse 12 that he will not be negligent? Why does he promise verse 13 to do it as long as he is in the tabernacle? He never wants to retire. He never wants to stop. Why does he say in verse 15 the words, I will endeavor why is there a zealousness? Well, the origin of this desire, in a general sense, is found in Isaiah 62 and the verse 6. And it's there that the Lord says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day and night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. The watchmen in the walls, of course, is speaking about the preacher. 
And the preacher is the one who's watching out. He's the watchman. He's looking out for the danger. All of the sheep, all of the flock, all of the people are inside the city walls. And up around the guards are watching and they're patrolling. They're seeing what is coming. They're seeing the danger that is coming towards the city. And they're to be shouting and calling day and night. They are to be never holding their peace. Ministers are watchmen. They're remembrancers. In the same form as Peter is a remembrancer. Peter is a teaching elder, is a watchman in the wall. He's one that sees the danger. He's one who knows what is coming. He's one who understands the danger that is coming down the road. And he is one that is there to warn and to call the people. Be alert, be ready, be armed, be clothed. Have the armor of God. Have it on you. The devil's still walking about as a roaring lion. The fiery darts are still coming to puncture. And so in a general sense, Peter's simply following the words of Isaiah. But in a more particular sense, the origin of the seal in Peter is found in the words of Christ. Luke 22 in the verse 32, the Lord says to Peter, When thou art converted, strengthen Thy brother. In other words, not only is the general commission given to all of the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, but Peter's also given a very special commission. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. You can think as well of the words of John 21 that Christ speaks to Peter. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Those words are given specifically to Peter in regards to the flock, in regards to the church. Peter is given a very special ministry. He is commissioned care for the church, care for the believers. He was never the head of the church, but he was to be a help to the church. He was to be one that from generation to generation, even as his time on earth came to an end, he says it there in the verse 15, I will endeavor that you may be able even after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. That he being dead, yet speaketh that even though Peter in the earthly tabernacle is gone, yet his words are living on. His conscience are his conduct and his words and his conversation and those things that he has wrote down to them will live on. After all, Peter knew what it was to be tempted. Tempted of the devil. Sifted his weight. Peter as a man knew what it was to be tried by the world. He had endured prison for the cause of Christ. The death penalty on previous occasion had been placed in his head. We knew that from Acts 12. He was to be killed after Easter. And even now as he's... Saying here in the verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. He knew he was going to be stretched forth. He knew he was going to be crucified. So he knew something of the trials of the world. He knew something as well of the danger and of dismay. He knew what it was to fall. He knew the pain and the bitterness that caused. And so he's emphatic in his writing to the church. Even in his final words, his final will and testament, as it were, you need to remember to work in your faith. Never be complacent. 
Never think you've made it. Never think you're strong enough. Never think you've enough years in the Christian walk. Never think that you're far enough down the road or close enough to the Lord that the devil can't get at you. Those were the reasons why he's a reminder. But then secondly, I want you to see the routine. The routine. As I said in these four verses that we read together, Peter uses the word remembrance three different times. Verse 12, verse 13, and again at the end of verse 15. But in each verse, it's actually a different Greek word. Three times in the English it's remembrance, but the three times in Greek, it's three different words that he employs and that he uses. And really what you have is Peter showing forth Uh, the different means and methods that a minister uses to remind the congregation. The first one in verse 12, whilst it says remembrance in English, in the Greek New Testament, it's really saying remind them quietly. In other words, pastoral visitation. Whether that be in the one-to-one conversation, at the door or even just out in the street or just after a meeting or even a phone call, whatever the case may be, just that one-to-one conversation or whether it be even in the pastoral visitation. Never the ministers with the family or with the individual in their home. And that individual has that time just to talk with the minister and just to bring something up, maybe a concern that they have, maybe a worry that there is upon their mind and upon their heart, that they are in the comfort of their own home and the confined of it there, in the privacy that they can talk. And the minister then can open up the word and show them and to teach them quietly. To remind them not to forget what they need to do. To remind them of what they ought to be doing for Christ and even in Christ. The other two occasions, the verse 13 and the verse 15. Again, two different words, but it's really reminding on both occasions. It's speaking of the public remembrance. In other words, the preaching. The practice of the public preaching whenever the minister, he stands before the whole congregation and he preaches the word of God and he seeks to apply it and he seeks to bring forth that reminder even to the hearer of their responsibilities, even in Christ, to remind the child of God that they are a chosen generation, that they are a royal priesthood, to remind them to be holy, even as the Lord is holy. To remind them that they're to be separated unto the gospel. To remind them that they're to come out from among them and to be separate. To remind them to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The remembrance for the people is to be both a private and a public affair. That's what Peter is saying here even through the words that he employs. He is saying this and he's shown it very clearly. I will speak to you quietly but I will also speak to you loudly as it were publicly. I will bring it to the entire congregation. I will bring it to all of the believers. You need to be remembered. You need to be reminded. After all that's the great blueprint that Christ left for us and left for Peter and his ministry. Christ knew what it was to do the public and the private. 
Christ knew what it was to preach great sermons to thousands. You think of the Sermon on the Mount. You think of the, the numerous other occasions, whether it be in the temple place, in the synagogue, whenever they brought the scriptures to him, he read them and then he expounded them. But he also knew what it was to go to the house of Nicodemus. He knew what it was to sit down with one man and just to bring the scriptures to him. And certainly that was a New Testament way. You see it in the book of Acts. You see it even followed by the Apostle Paul. Even in Rome, those final two verses of Acts 28. And I don't want to give everything away for this Sunday night. But you think of those last two verses. It says, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house. He received all that came in unto him. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no man forbidding man, or for, forbidding him. No, I believe in those two years, he reminded them publicly. We looked at that last week, the many that came into the house and he preached to them. But I also believe there were times of pastoral visitation, whenever individuals came to that hard house, and he sat down the one with the one. And he just expounded and taught them the scriptures. He reminded the church of Rome in terms of the Christians at that time, those believers that had even come as far as that before him in three taverns, he met with them in the one-to-one setting and he just reminded them of what they needed to do. There's a routine that Peter follows. But then thirdly and finally, I want you to see the results. The results. Verse 13. He says, Yea, I think it meet. As long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Peter's great desire is that through his efforts of continually reminding the Christian is that they would be stirred up. The word literally for stirred up it means to be wakened, to be raised up. There's a great strength and energy with this word. In the Greek, it is the word diagero. It's used in John 6 in the verse 18. Whenever the disciples are out in the sea and a great storm rises. And it tells us in John 6 and verse 18, the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. That word for arose is the same word as Peter uses here, stirred up. And so you think of the wind and how it stirred up the waves and all of the waves and the water would come crashing over the sides of the ship and the great fear that came upon the disciples because they thought, we're going to sink. This water's coming up and it's coming up with such power and ferocity that we just can't even contain it. That's what Peter's wanting to do to the Christian. He wants them stirred up. He wants them with that power and that energy. He desires that they be awakened out of their sleep and out of their slumber. That they're not just simply ambling along in the Christian walk. But they're awake. That there's life in them. So many Christians find themselves lethargic. Barely a pulse. Christians come and go from church. Partaken in the means of grace with barely any evidence of life. And here Peter he's saying I'm reminding you of these things because I want you awake. I want you stirred up. 
I want to see excited and enthusiastic believers. I don't want to see those that can barely even open their mouths. I want to see Christians that are alive. Christians that have the joy of the Lord on them. To see that zeal. To see that burning energy within them. That they're alive for the things of God. That they love the things of God. Some Christians are so scared of Pentecostalism. That they put their faith and the joy of their faith in deep freeze. They put it in cold storage just to make sure they don't look too Pentecostal. Reverend Reggie Kimbrough, when he was over in January preaching at the minister's week of prayer, he mentioned about the great concerns that many Christians have. On the one side you have legalism, on the other side you have liberalism. And so many Christians have their eyes Only on these two things. And they're concerned, well, if I go too liberal, and so they think, right, I'll head for the legalistic side then. And I'll end up being too legalistic. I'll end up veering towards the legalism side so that I can't be accused of being a liberal. And then you have others on the side of legalism and they're so concerned that, oh, I'm becoming too legalistic, so they run towards liberalism. The problem is you're either running between one and the other, but you're forgetting just to look up. You're going along the same line, the same plateau, instead of looking up to the Lord. After all, what are we to be? We're to be Christ-like as Christians. We're to be like Christ. And so what you find of the ministry and the life of Christ, that's how we ought to be living. I believe the great... Evidence even of how Christ-like an individual can be. And how Christ could stir up an individual and what the impact of Christ had upon an individual, I believe, you can see in the Emmaus Road. Those two disciples as they walked from Jerusalem down the road to Emmaus. Over in Luke's Gospel in the chapter 24. They're downcast. They're greatly saddened. And the Lord draws alongside them and he asks that question. You know, basically, where are you going and why are you so sad? And they tell him. And then he answers them, verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then verse 27 tells us, Beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What did he do? He reminded them. He didn't bring them anything new. All that Christ did in that road to Emmaus with those two disciples was he just reminded them of everything. And what is their testimony then whenever they finally realize that it's the Lord after he's break, break the bread and after he's give the thanks and then he disappeared, he vanished out of their sight. Verse 32, they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened up to us the scriptures? In other words, they were stirred up. Christ drew alongside. Christ reminded them of his word. Christ reminded them of his will. Christ reminded them of the sacrifice and the importance of it. And what did they say? Our hearts burned. We were stirred up. That's a result of remembrance. 
That's what each one of us ought to be longing for within our hearts and in our lives, that we are stirred up. That we realize just what we have in Christ. That we realize just what Christ is doing. That we don't simply look in the world and just keep our eyes down, but rather we get our eyes up and we realize Christ is in control of all of this. Remember what he's done. Remember what he's promising to do now. Remember what he's promising to do in the future. Remember he's in control of it all. I know that we would be stirred up Oh, how much we need to be reminded. How much we need to be reminded of what the gospel has accomplished already. What Christ has finished. How much we need to be reminded of what the gospel and what Christ has accomplished in us. How much we need to be reminded of what then we must do. We have the right to shout and to sing. We need to be remember, reminded of that. We need to remember the lively hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We need to be stirred up. I know that the Lord would stir us by his spirit. That our hearts would burn within us. That even as we're reminded of his word and I trust each time that we come around the things of God, even if it's something you've looked at or heard before, and you come at it with that understanding, the Lord is reminding me of this. The Lord's teaching me afresh what I've forgotten. I know that we would be stirred up. That we and our hearts within us would burn. Would burn for Christ. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts.